faithful, that I would uh, um, not say anything incorrect, Lord, that you would, would keep me uh, focused on preaching, uh, preaching the, the plain text. And I pray, Lord, that folks who are here would hear from you. I pray that um, they would be challenged by what they hear, that they would be um, brought into a place where, where they come to know you more, where they know, um, they know your grace and your mercy on their lives. And they know how to how to live your will in Jesus' name, Amen. So I uh, am not a sports fan, though I do love making fun of sports teams. Um, and and uh, I will tell you, I, I've tried really hard throughout my life. I grew up. Uh, my father is from Chicago, uh, and and from the south side of Chicago. And if any of y'all are like familiar with Chicago. The, the city divides in half at about the midway point, and everybody who lives on the north side is a Cubs fan, and everybody who lives on the south side is wrong, or at least so I've been told. Um, my father was a diehard Cubs fan, um, and some of y'all aren't old enough to remember this, but the Cubs used to be terrible. Um, in fact, they didn't just used to be terrible, they used to be really terrible. And, and I grew up, um, I remember in like 1984 or 1985, I don't even remember because I, I don't care that much, um, the Cubs um, almost won the pennant. Or maybe they did win the pennant and they got knocked out of the playoffs. And it was, it was a huge deal. And I remember how excited my father and my brother and my mom were. They were so excited. And then through a series of, of sort of silly errors and dumb missteps, um, they, they lost to the Phillies. Um, I remember because I had to watch it. It was like a, it was like going to church on Sunday for us. I mean, you had to be there and watch the Cubs lose. Um, and 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 I remember like there there's a mantra amongst Cubs fans. Next year, right? And they say it every year, like next year, next year, next year, next year. And the thing that has always blown my mind, including when I lived in Chicago and I would go downtown to Wrigley Field, and I would go to see the Cubs play, they always filled the place. You go in the middle of the day, and apparently there is nothing else to do. They are out there watching the games. And so, like, when teams have bad years, their stadiums empty out. But the Cubs, man, people show up to watch them. Because even though they lost every, every, every year, even though every year when they did the Crosstown Classic where the Cubs played the White Sox, and my uncle, the White Sox fan, called my dad to gloat, my parents loved the Cubs. There was like nothing the Chicago Cubs could do to mess that up. Um, I, I'm not, again, I'm not from Montana, so I don't know how it is here. I'm assuming that's the Wildcats for you guys. Um, <laughs> I'm kidding. I don't even care. I, <laughs> um, what we're, the reason I'm talking about this, the reason I'm opening with this, the Cubs are not mentioned in the Bible, no matter what uh, some folks say. Um, but we are, we're working through the seri- the, a series right now that, that Michael and Morgan um, inflicted on all of you. So if you're unhappy with it, complain to them. Um, <laughs> well, Michael, you're a newlywed, so I'm going to tell you. You complain to her and she ignores you. Got it? <laughs> Morgan, that's your job. <laughs> um, I, for when they got married, I, I preached through 1 Corinthians 13. I spent a lot of time studying it. I got this burn my britches to preach on it last week. If you didn't see last week's message, it's on the Facebook page. It's on iTunes. You can listen to it or hear it or whatever. Like, it is, it is available. Um, the only downside if you watch it on Facebook is you have to see me, and that's a pretty 
It's a pretty big uh, negative. Um, but we're working through a series. Last week, obviously, 1 Corinthians is this passage on love, right? And we all know it. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It's this, like, explanation of love that is a byproduct of the Holy Spirit infesting our lives. And, and so um, it, it is this unconditional, I will wait. I will love you anyway. I will put up with your nonsense. It is, it is the kind of love that, that Chicago Cubs fans have for their team. Got it? Um, and, and so as we dive into this, like, like what I, what happened was it was going to be a one-off and I started researching it and studying it. And I said, Oh my gosh, this is so big. I should do several sermons. And, and now y'all are stuck with it. So, um, I'm not sorry, but Michael should be. Um, <laughs> um, so what we're doing here, um, the first Corinthians 13 gives us this good definition. Um, but what we're going to look at this week is Jesus talking about this subject and how, um, love becomes sort of this underlying component of um, all Christian ethic. Like, so if you decide, um, should I do this or should I do that? Or what's the right thing to do in this situation? Or how do I handle myself here? Um, like, what would Jesus do kind of thing? Um, love ends up being one of the strong underlying foundations. There are other elements there. Don't hear me saying that it's only love because holiness and bunch of other stuff, obedience to God's law, like all of this stuff is a part of it. But we're going to be getting into like this aspect because it is a big deal. Um, so that is 1 Corinthians 13. Um, real quick, Jesus was Jewish. I know this may be like out in left field for some of you. Wait a minute, wasn't Jesus a Christian? No, Jesus was Jewish. Um, Christianity is the fulfillment of the Jewish faith. Um, and, and as we get into it, like there is a lot of what Jesus taught that is best understood in light of the fact that he was a first century Jew. Right. And this is one of those instances. Um, Jesus is in Jerusalem at this point. And actually, it was just uh, a year ago, like in two or three days, I was I was in the place where this debate probably took place. Like I stood on on the side of the temple, like you have the Temple Mound. Right. And then on the side of the Temple Mound, there's this place called Archaeology Park because there's a park where they do archaeology. Um, (laughs) And and on the side of the building, there's a set of steps and they're called the teaching steps. The teaching steps are this spot that was next to the temple where um, people would gather and kind of hang out, and teachers would come through, and you could just stop and teach, and people might listen to you. They might not. They might argue with you. Might, they might ask questions, but, like, this is where this probably took place. This is in the last week of Christ's earthly ministry. It's before he's arrested. Um, and what's going on here in um, – we're in Matthew 22 um, – What's going on in this chapter is he's being argued with by all of these different groups. Um, the Sadducees, who are sort of the religious um, officials of the time, they controlled the temple complex. They weren't anywhere else. Uh, they were there. They argued with Jesus about a bunch of stuff, and he, like, owned them over and over again. He's the guy you should never argue with because he's going to win no matter what. Um, and so they would argue with him, and the Pharisees would argue with him, and they went back and forth. And this chapter 22 has a collection of these religious debates. Um, in this instance, we're going to be looking at the Pharisees asking a very specific question about the law. And to understand the law, like they're talking about the law, not just the Ten Commandments, but the entire Old Testament. Um, Jewish rabbis, starting during the exile, had narrowed down had narrowed down the the Old Testament into a collection of laws, 613 laws. Got it? So there's 613 laws, um, everything from um, 
and, and they were pretty ridiculous about it. There's stuff that they consider to be Old Testament laws that aren't in the Old Testament, like how wide a road can be. I, you know, and if you had a house, it had to be this wide. If you had a farm, it had to be. I mean, it's crazy stuff. Um, what does work look like on Sunday? How do you obey the Sabbath law properly? And so they, they would debate over and over again endlessly which laws were more important, which ones are light, which ones are heavy, which ones are serious, which ones aren't. And so um, everybody had different opinions, and they would, I mean, they would draw battle lines over this stuff. It was a huge deal. And so as we dive into the text, that's the background, that's the context. Um, Matthew 22, 34 to 36, we're going to do this in little bites. Um, Hearing that Jesus had silenced the Sadducees, the Pharisees got together. One of them, an expert in the law, tested him with this question. Teacher, which is the greatest commandment of the law? So of the 613 laws, Jesus, which one's most important? Which one do I have to follow most carefully? Now he's testing him. He's trying to draw him into an argument that's unwinnable. Everybody got that? Like they are setting the battleground for their debate. And this unwinnable argument, the reason it's unwinnable is um, it, it, the, there's no real way to, like, nail it down, right? Wait a minute. Is not taking the name of the Lord in vain more important? Is honoring the Sabbath? Is this? Is that? I mean, like, it becomes very, very um, undefined. And everybody can offer an opinion. And what they had found with Jesus' teaching so far is he would teach, and everybody kind of like, oh, yeah, you're right. Even the guys who were against him couldn't argue with him because he was right. Um, and, and Which, by the way, Michael is a lot like being married. Um, <laughs> the, the, at this point in the text, though, um, they ask this question, figuring they're going to draw him into this argument. So which law is the greatest? And they're probably expecting one of the Ten Commandments, which is the obvious answer, would be one of the first four. Um, and instead, Jesus replies, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. Now, everybody in the room would have known this one. And here's why. There is this thing called the Shema, right? My Hebrew is terrible. I'm pronouncing it wrong. It's okay. Um, Actually, I'm not pronouncing it wrong, but I should be because I'm really bad at Hebrew. Anyway, the Shema, twice a day, every faithful Jewish person would recite it. In fact, if you go to Israel today, every door jam in the entire country, I'm not even kidding, well, not the entire country, but most of the country, has the Shema nailed to the, like, to the door jam. Um, and I'll, I'll read it to you here. Uh, it's from Deuteronomy, and you would just, every day you would say it twice. Every day you would say it twice. And it was hammered into their minds. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. These commands, are, so that is the Shema right there. They would say it every day, twice a day as a part of their religious observance. In fact, I, I was on an airplane flying to Israel, and in the middle of the night, I was asleep when this happened. The um, pilot got on the radio and announced the sun was coming up, and I woke up as all of the Orthodox Jews got up and walked around and recited their prayers, and this is a part of it. They would recite it at sunrise, they would recite it at lunchtime, et cetera, et cetera. Like, this is a part of the deal. And they still do it today. Um, so love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. 
Um, these commandments that I give you today are to be on your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road and when you lie down and when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. Um, and, and they literally did that. Like people would have these little boxes with these, this line, the Shema, in it on their door frame. Um, there are Orthodox Jews. I was at the Wailing Wall, and there are guys walking around with a little box tied to their forehead um, with the Shema in it, like on their forehead. And they just wear it there. And they would, like, when, on the airplane, these guys are wrapping these things around their hands with the Shema on it because they took this very, very, very literally and very seriously. There's one God, love him more than anything else. So Jesus says this, and the Pharisees, this is a dead stop. Got it? Like, there ain't no arguing with that. Like, what are you going to say? Oh, wait, 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 wait. I think the law against. No. Like, you can't argue it. But traditionally, this wouldn't have been considered part of the law. But Jesus trumps it. Now, here's why this matters. Um, This is the foundation. Those of you all with children can almost certainly relate to this. There are times I give my children an instruction or a rule to follow, and they don't break it. But they do their best to find their way around it. And you look at them and you're like, I know you're breaking the rule. Was it just my kids? Oh, mine and the Williamses. Um, <laughs> but they're not breaking the rule, but they are really definitely breaking it. Right? I, I ask Jeremy Eccles every once in a while, how fast can I go before they pull me over? <laughs> and he says, drive the speed limit. This is the idea. Like people, like the, the, ancient, um, the ancient Jewish folks, they had so narrowed down and piled up and spliced out every aspect of how to obey the law perfectly that they had missed the point of the law. And they would obey, but they wouldn't obey it right. So they said, well, look, you can't travel more than five miles from your home. If you travel more than five miles from your home on the Sabbath, that's work. And so what they would do is they would live in a tent overnight. Then they would get up. They would pack up the tent. They would travel five miles. They would put the tent back down. They'd sit in the tent for about ten minutes. They'd say, all right, we're home. Pack it up and go five more miles. Well, we're not breaking the rule. That's like my kids standing there. You said that I couldn't be in here watching TV, but you didn't say I couldn't listen. (laughs) And I'm not watching the TV. I'm looking at the corner of the TV. That's not the whole TV. So obviously... To which I say, hey, you're missing the point. It's the spirit of this thing, not the letter, right? And when Jesus says, love God more than anything, he is saying, obey the spirit of the law. The most important thing is that you love God. Actually, I really wish I had put it up on the screen. I was going to. St. Augustine was one of the great minds of Christianity um, in the 2nd or 3rd century. I think the 3rd century said, um, love God and then do as you please. And people will look at that and say, wait a minute, do whatever you want if you love God. But if I love God, I'm going to honor him, right? I love my wife. I love my wife so much that it hurts sometimes, right? And amazingly, I don't throw things at her. Partially because I'm scared, but partially because I love her and I don't throw things at her, right? Um, I love my kids. And they're like my son, who I love very much has gotten in his head that about 3.45 in the morning is the time to get out of bed. Now, I get up around 4, and he'll get up, and he'll come out, Dad, I'm up. 
Like, no, I get up this early because I want the house to be quiet for a little while. And there's a part of me that would love to take him in there and duct tape him to the bed, which I don't do. Anybody from child services, this is not an acknowledgement of any kind of guilt. Or, I don't do it. I don't do it because I love him, right? I don't do it because I love him. Nobody has to tell me don't duct tape your children to the bed because I love them. I, I love my wife so I don't throw things at her. I, I love you guys so I put effort into preaching every week. I research. I spend about eight hours a week researching. Um, also, I love researching, so that's, you know, it's like, oh, I'll eat all the apple pie you need me to. Um, <laughs> but I, I do this because I want to do the best I can by y'all. And so when Jesus says this, he says, listen, love God more than anything. He is giving us a very basic instruction about how to follow God's law. Um, how do I not take the name of the Lord in vain? I love God, right? Taking the name of the Lord in vain, by the way, is not, oh, I hit my thumb with a hammer and I said, you know, I said Jesus' name. It is going to folks and saying, you can't do this because God says, and then just making something up, right? Abby used to do that when she was young. She'd be like, Dad, this Bible here says that you have to let me stay up as late as I want and watch TV. Well, no, it doesn't. <laughs> Don't do that. That is what taking the name of the Lord in vain is. That's these clowns who go on TV and, and say things like, God said I need an $80 million jet airplane, and God told me that you people have to give me money to buy it. Guess what? That's, obeying, that's disobeying the law. Don't take the name of the Lord in vain. I love God, so I try not to do that, right? I love God, and so I don't take his name in vain. I love God, and so I don't worship things that aren't him, or I try really hard not to. Um, I love God, and so I don't have to be... Like, these, these rules, they become easier... Um, when they're coming out of a position of love. And so when, um, when 1 Corinthians 13, when Paul writes out this, hey, listen, if you can speak any language, if you know every secret of the universe but you don't have love, you're pointless. You're wasting your life, right? Um, the underlying truth there is um, if I do the right thing but I do it without loving God, I'm failing, I'm not obedient. I'm not doing right. You can obey like you can obey the commandments better than your neighbor and still not know Jesus. Um, and the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. Um, this is another Old Testament quote. By the way, they didn't ask for two, but Jesus, you know, really wants to make sure they're, he shuts their mouths, right? And he, so he quotes Leviticus 19. Do not seek revenge or bear a grudge against anyone among your people. But love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. Um, now watch this. My son is precious to me. If, um, for whatever reason, Daniel, we over here, were to go out and kick him in the head, we wouldn't be cool. Can we say that's fair? Like, we're, we're not cool. You mistreat my kids, we're not cool. Um, I, I went to a church uh, years ago. This is 20 years ago. I almost lost my – well, I didn't almost lose my job there. I did almost lose my job a number of times, but it was because I was not very good at my job. Um, <laughs> but there was a fellow who went to that church who chewed my wife out on a Sunday morning. And I went to him, and I very straight up looked him in the eye and said, you do not ever talk to my wife again. You, you don't get to talk to her. you got a problem. You talk to me. You do not yell at my wife. You don't talk to her. You don't. And I was very carefully or very mightily trying to restrain my anger in the moment. 
Um, but the truth is, if you mistreat my wife, we're not cool. Everybody got that? And that's a reasonable truth, isn't it? Um, this is the truth when it comes to God. As much as some folks drive me crazy, Jesus died for them. As much as some people make me uncomfortable, and we all know folks like that, right? Like, Jesus came to earth, lived as one of us, was nailed to a cross, bled for those guys. And so when Jesus says, love your neighbor as yourself, this is a subset of the first one, right? I love my neighbor because I love God. Um, it's a little like uh, loving the creation. I, I, I don't destroy the world around me. I, don't, I do my best to clean up after myself. I try not to, you know, I, when I was young and I first started working on cars, every once in a while I would dump automotive fluids down the drain of the parking lot I was in. I don't do that anymore because I recognize it's a sinful thing to do. Right? I don't emulate me. I'm not. This is like 30 years ago, so I'm, I was too... Um, <laughs> um, <laughs> but you know, I don't do that stuff because I love the creation, because God made it, like God designed it. It, it bears the thumbprint of God. I, I hate recycling. I will own that. I, I have to wash all the recyclables, and I've got to run them up to town. I've got to do all this stuff. You know why I do them? I do them because this is God's world, and I love them, Period. There are people who make me uncomfortable. I pray for them. There are people who have mistreated me. I do my best to pray for them um, because I love folks because they're God's. I live in his world. He went to any, I mean, literally went to the cross to save me so I could know him, so I could be his. Um, puts, a lot of, puts a lot of reason for me to do that, right? Um, I visit my in-laws because my wife loves them. Jesus goes on, he says, all of the law and the prophets hang on these two commands. Um, and so what Jesus summarizes, he says, listen, everything in, the, everything in the law, everything in the obey God thing, everything in the God sent this prophet to call you out and give you direction about how to live, everything in the Old Testament, the entirety of it is boiled down to this. Love God more than anything, love your neighbor as yourself. Love God more than anything. Love your neighbor as yourself. Um, and actually, I would argue that Christ emulates that perfectly because he comes and he is obedient to the point of death on a cross, right? Like he is obedient above and beyond reasonable. Um, and he does it because he loves God and he dies to save us, um, which, by the way, that's Romans, right? No greater love has any man than to lay down his life for his fellow man. Like that is Christ to a T. Like he is the perfect example. Does that mean he's Pollyanna and lets folks run him over? Well, no. Actually, you should, if you believe that's who Jesus was, you should read the gospel some. They're a load of fun, like where he calls the Pharisees, you brood of vipers. Where he calls them, you whitewashed tombs. Outside you look pretty, but inside you're full of rot and decay. Um, or when he walks into the temple and sees people taking advantage of of the folks who were coming to worship, and they'd set up a market. And it was actually, if you read the Talmud, it was this elaborate, crazy system whereby the Sadducees cashed in on the worshipers and made an enormous amount of money. And Jesus walks in and sees it, and he tips over tables, and he makes a whip out of cords and chases people out. And he says, it's written that my, that, that my father's house will be a house of prayer, but you have made it into a den of thieves. Um, like, love sometimes is passionate. Love sometimes um, 
gets angry. And we're going to talk about that next week. We almost talked about it this week, but I decided this is the best way to come at this. Um, this is uh, Matthew 7, 7 to 12. Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. This is from the Sermon on the Mount, by the way. Um, um, knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who rece- asks receives and no one who finds. Oh my gosh, I am losing myself here. For everyone who asks receives and the one who seeks finds and the one who knocks the door will be opened. Which of you, if your son asks for bread, will you give him a stone? Sometimes the bread I give isn't very good, but it's never been a rock. Or if he asks for a fish, will you give him a snake? If you then, who are all evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? So in everything, now here's the important part, so in everything, do unto others what you would have them do to you, for this sums up the law and the prophets. Um, What we're seeing there is, again, like the underlying truth about how to obey, how to serve, how to fulfill the Old Testament is, love God more than anything. Love your neighbor as yourself. How do I obey that? Ooh, that's a tough one, isn't it? Um, I obey that um, when folks irritate me and make me angry. I pray for them. And when I'm still angry when I'm done, I pray for them some more, right? When I'm still frustrated, I pray for him some more. I had a guy who tried to get me fired from the children's home when I was a chaplain there. And I was, it was actually two guys. And I, I started praying for them because I had nothing else. I couldn't fight back. I couldn't do anything. I had to be an example of like who Jesus is. And so I prayed for him. And the first guy, I prayed for him. And he got this huge blessing in life that forced him to quit his job and move away. Yeah. <laughs> and you know what? I was happy that his life got better. Because I was praying for God to bless him, and God blessed him. It was awesome, right? He never, I don't know that he ever changed. I don't know that he ever stopped being a jerk. But, like, I know that, that praying for him was the right thing to do because me despising this guy, he's God's child. That doesn't make any sense. The other guy, I prayed for him for several years, and his life fell apart, and eventually he turned his life to Christ and became a different man. And I was like, yeah. Not that things fell apart for him, actually. I, <laughs> but that, it, that he found Jesus because ultimately, like, what it all boils down to is loving your neighbor sometimes means praying for him, right? And it means praying for him when you're angry. Anybody get that or is it just me? I'm going to confess a little bit here. There are days I go to bed at night and I grind my teeth and I think about people who make me angry, right? There are days I was on, on social media this morning. I had to shut it off and decide not to look at it again today. You know why? Because there are people who make me angry, um, and I said, you know what, I've got I to gotta turn this off and I've got to pray for these guys because when I pour gas on my own anger, I'm not honoring God. I'm not loving God. I'm being self-righteous. I'm being, I'm being wicked. I'm growing into something I don't want to be. Um, when I walk in the door and there are folks I don't know or folks that make me uncomfortable or folks I don't, um, go out of my way to talk to you usually, I try to talk to them. You know why? Because they're God's children. When there are folks who I know don't like me, I smile and I do my best to love them. Is it easy? Some of y'all are married and sometimes you wake up in the morning and you think, my spouse is the enemy. Nobody? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> How do you serve God in that situation? You love them. 
How do you love? Well, honestly, the way it all gets boiled down in the Sermon on the Mount basically is to love somebody is to, like, is to serve them, is to give yourself over to them like, without reservation. It is not to say, I will love you this far, no further. Right? It is, I will love you even if. When Christ was being nailed to the cross and he, and he cried out, Father, what did he say? Father, forgive them because they don't know what they're doing. Right? Um, the Apostle Peter, I, I've said this a few times, but it's one of the most powerful things I've ever read. The guy who drew a sword in the Garden of Gethsemane and cut off a man's ear to protect Christ. Um, when he was arrested by the Romans and taken under Nero to Rome, um, the day before he was executed, he was forced to watch his wife be crucified. And as he watched, he yelled out to her, Remember how Christ loved those who crucified him. Do the same. Um, which some women might say, hey, you know what, like in the last moment you could refrain from correcting her and telling her how to fix her problem. But <laughs> really, nothing. <laughs> um, but the truth is that, like, at the foundation of it all, like we love our neighbor, we love our brother. Um, that doesn't just mean forgiving. It means going out of your way to serve, right? It means going out of your way to find ways to make their lives better. It means going out of your way to confess when you wrong them and make amends. That's not fun. I'm going to tell you if you can manage this. That 1 Corinthians 13, it sounds good at weddings. Um, It sounds painful when you take love out and put your name in the place and you say, you know, Eric is patient. Eric is kind. Eric does not envy. Eric does not boast. Um, Insert your name here because we're not just talking about me, right? Um, over and over again, we accomplish that by serving God and looking at the folks around us as God's people. Um, my challenge for you this week, and because like if you don't have a specific thing, like if you feel something, like love in this sense is not a feeling. It's not Twitter patient. It's not a whole new world. It's not, um, you know, can you feel the love tonight? It is action. It is commitment to service. And so as you walk out the door, um, if God has pressed someone on your heart, if God has pressed a situation where you're like, I cannot love these people because, um, ask yourself, how do, I, how do I figure out how to love them? What do I need to do? Sometimes it starts with serving. Oh, my gosh, there are people I have served that I despised. Um, but serving teaches you how to love. It starts with prayer. Sometimes you pray for people that you don't want to love. You know why? Because it changes you. And so, like, whatever it is is rattling around in your head, how are you going to make it happen? What are you going to do today that is different? I'm going to close in prayer and I'll let you go. Heavenly Father, I pray that you would be with us this morning. I pray that you would help us to be people who love you with all our heart, with all our soul, with all our mind, with all our strength, Lord. Help us to love you more than we, more than we love the Chicago Cubs, Lord. Help us to love you more than we love getting our own way and winning every argument, Lord. Help us to love you so much that, that it doesn't make sense anymore um, to the world. Um, And I pray, Lord, that that love would pour down onto the folks around us, that we would demonstrate Christ's love, Christ's self-sacrifice, Christ's willingness to be um, Savior for us. Help us to love folks around us that way. Help us to become Jesus in the world around us. Amen. Don't forget, if you're interested in um, 